Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your like sparkling water, entirely too much host, Cam Harless. And joining whew, joining me today as guest host is a man who loves to make content. He's the host of Wartime Propaganda, Conspiracy Pilled, and Last American Pubcast. He's also got a pair of pretty tight chops on his face. It's uh, Mr. <laughs> PJ Williams. Hey, Cam. Thanks for having me on tonight, man. It's, it's nice to have you on. I think it's kind of funny, though, because uh, like I've been on uh wartime propaganda and um the last american pop pod- podcast yeah yeah <laughs> it's all good um and i was like i need to invite him on at some point but i didn't expect that i was going to be inviting you on as a as a ho- as a co-host first yeah. but it, it works out well it's like that's that's a pretty good pretty good setup for a first time being on the show <laughs> yeah no i like it i'm excited <laughs> uh all right, so I'm going to I'm going to do some of the the house cleaning real quick. Uh just so everyone knows before we get to the show, the show is 100% brought to you by fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe and share the show with your friends. Uh there's all sorts of topics that we we've covered and that we will cover in the future. Uh this next Thursday is going to be really cool as well. Uh but share them with someone who might gain something for them or it might make them think or be nicer to you. I don't know. Um but uh if you'd like to support us the best possible way to do that, unfortunately, is Patreon. Uh, there you'll get an occasional early episode, a Zoom hangout, and my eternal gratitude. So hit up patreon.com slash themadones. And if you want a shirt, if you want a rep, I don't have my shirt on today. I'm a bad host. If you want a shirt or a tank top, which is the preferred shirt of the show, uh, go to wearethemadones.com slash store. And that way you can rep us wherever you are. We also have mugs if you're into coffee. Uh, but let's get let's get to the show. Let's do the thing. Uh, joining us tonight is a narcissist. Usually when you hear that, it's someone being a jerk to someone else by calling them that. But tonight's guest is a self-aware narcissist who's trying to take care of that and heal the issues that have plagued him and the others around him. With his project, Raw Motivation, he works to help other narcissists get better, help those who have sus- suffered narcissistic abuse, and he spreads awareness of that abuse. He's a very interesting man, and I can't wait to hear his story. Uh, it's Mr. Ben Taylor. Awesome. What's Thank you guys so much for having me on. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. It's, I, I think I first messaged you probably like four or five months ago, so I'm just glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah, but it's been a while. It's been a while. I kept, I kept like bumping it down, and then it got lost for a period of time, and then I think I emailed you, and it got lost for a period of time, so kind of <laughs> touch and go back there. Oh, yeah, for sure. So... Um, obviously, you know, you don't hear many people claiming to be narcissists themselves. Typically that's, it's someone else claiming that some, that they are, um, which may or may not be true. I think it's definitely something that people over diagnose, uh, against others kind of in general. Um, I know that because I've had friends, um, who were decidedly not narcissists, but people would call them that and like try to clinically, you know, diagnose them with narcissism, personality disorder in PD rather than just straight up narcissist. And uh, I don't think that's fair, but it's interesting that you call yourself that you call yourself a self-aware narcissist. So just to get into the meat and bones uh, first, uh, if you're cool with it, I would love to hear your story and I'd love to hear how, you either learned that you became a narcissist or accepted that you were one. And what, how, how did that occur? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think like a big part was, you know, early on, I was always moving and always traveling. So my dad was an evangelist. We actually traveled all over the U.S., uh, about 40 to 45 churches a year. So we were moving pretty much every single week. And so there wasn't really a time to like gain roots anywhere. And so growing up, I started getting to a place where I knew I interacted and I responded differently to different situations and different people than what other people would. You know, big aspect was the idea of like empathy. You know, having that empathy, having, you know, tears, having like different like sympathy and different things like that. I was like, I don't I don't really connect the same as other people. It kind of was even a, a joke early on, like the household of like, oh, like there's actually like a tear or something there. Like write it down in the calendar because it wasn't something that was, you know, it normal at all ever. Right. And so like growing up, there was stuff like that. But as I continued into high school and started into college, I started into these like cycles of being with girls then being with women and like going through different things. So I thought, you know, hey, like there's always there's always like the idea of being with someone. And then as that relationship was, you know, ending or starting on the decline, then someone else was starting. There was never like a, a gap or like a right. break where like I'm alone with myself. It was always having to have someone constantly kind of like back to back kind of thing. That continued through high school, through college, got to the place where, you know, I got to the place where I was about ready to get engaged to one girl that fell through, um, met my wife that's continued that whole cycle. And I thought it was going to stop. You know, I thought it was going to stop. Oh, I get married and, you know, that just fixes everything. You know, that's the person right. I'm supposed to be with or it's just the next thing I'm supposed to do. And then once I do, then I don't really have to worry about it anymore. But unfortunately, after marriage, um, two things really, like right after marriage, that's when a lot of times I would term it now being like the mass started to fall as far as like how I was treating my wife, how I was interacting with her, wasn't loving, wasn't kind and started going down that emotional and mental abuse side. Within uh, right after about the first year of marriage is when I ended up starting the the first affair, and over our the rest of our marriage had a period of five different affairs over about a six seven year year gap, um, and so like going through all that, I was always like looking for you know something you know I was trying to find like that idea of like ideal love or like I don't I don't get this validation or get this respect or love from my wife so I'm going to find it with someone else and then you know that would fall through and then someone else you know and it's always kind of like a cycle and I got to a place where I remember thinking like maybe this is just how I'm always going to be you know, I got to a place where I was like, maybe I'm just cursed. You know, maybe this is a curse that I have that it's always going to be like this and there's nothing I can do to fix it. And I remember I thought that actually when we were out like in Kentucky before we moved here to Virginia and um, I got the reason why I thought this, I got back from uh, a trip that I've been on where I met up with someone and, and had an affair. And then I got back and that was literally right after I got back was the time that my wife said, hey, hey, we're pregnant. Now I was like brand new. I was like, whoa, you know, all that kind of stuff. We moved and then it was uh, probably about like a month later, two months later that that we lost the baby. And so there was a part of me that even like took that and was like, oh, you know, from from my Christian background, I was like, oh, maybe maybe that was because of me. You know, because I because I cheated, because I had a fair baby. That's, you know, why that happened. You know, so there's a lot of different things, but they didn't stop anything, you know, because there was two affairs that happened after that. because I was kind of like in the middle. 
And I remember like just getting to the place of it just being repetitive. And I'm like, there's a cycle and I don't know what it is. I, like I got to a place I was just like frustrated and mad because the cycle wasn't stopping and I didn't know how to fix it. And, you know, stuff kind of fell out with, with different aspects of my life of people finding out me confessing different aspects. And I got to the place. I remember there's one time where I was, you know, kind of a, a slight moment of like self-awareness where I asked my wife, I was like, I was like, I don't get it. I was like, I connect differently. Like I don't feel like stuff for different people. I was like, maybe I'm just like a sociopath. And so like we looked it up and she was like, no, I don't think you are. I think you might be a narcissist. And I was like, ah, no, hell no. Like I'm not a narcissist, you know? <laughs> Nobody and, wants uh, to take that I time. Mean, I went, at that time I went to other people. I went to, you know, supplies. I went to other affair partners, other friends, you know, to make sure they knew I wasn't a narcissist so they could go tell her that I wasn't a narcissist. Like the whole, the whole <laughs> thing kind of thing. Wow. Um, but then like over a period of time, um, there, there was a couple, there was the last couple of affairs that came out. Um, both my boss and my wife was like, you know, maybe, maybe it's a sex addiction, you know, let's look into that. Um, there's a couple of different things that transpired out of that. Uh, I was started just like looking of like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to look for because, you know, I'd, I'd grown up in religion. I'd grown up in Christianity and that wasn't like, I guess you could say like quote unquote, like fixing it for me, you know, yeah. just like talking to people, just confessing it to like my pastor, like different things like that. It's just, it wasn't, wasn't figuring it out. You know, uh, I ended up stumbling across uh, a group online called Wake Up Warrior uh, run by Garrett J. White. And I ended up joining their 30 day challenge, uh, the Wake Up Warrior challenge. And I walked into that being like, OK, let's see what this let's see what this is going to be. And the guy the guy like right at the very beginning was like, if you want to be a man, you need to stop fucking lying. Like, it was just like right in the face. And I was like, you know, going into it, I was like, oh, no, I have I have lies, you know, but that's like with other people. But I don't really have any of myself. And I didn't realize walking into it like I was filled of my own lies to myself. You know, not just lying to others, not just lying to like boss, you know, to God, to to my wife, everything like that. But there's also like the lies that I was believing inside myself that was, you know, continuing that cycle. Just like the idea of saying like, hey, I think I'm a good person, even though I'm still cheating, I'm still a good person, like the lies that I would believe. And so I, I have a couple of videos on those, but I did like seven, there were seven lies that was brought forth during that time there that really kind of opened my eyes to just the idea of it. Uh, with working with, you know, teams and stuff like that, when I was working with uh, the company Chick-fil-A, I started like realizing um, my personality was different. There's more things like getting revealed. And some of that was through you know, dispersonality, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, like different, di different personalities. It's like, wait, like this is different of how you interact compared to everybody else. I started learning some, uh, the book, like emotional intelligence, uh, the Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, which touches on shame and vulnerability, which are giant aspects of narcissism that I kind of, I learned about, but I didn't attach them to narcissism. In fact, like side note, like the book from um, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, that talks about shame and vulnerability wasn't until the third time I read it that I actually realized there was a section about narcissists. Like it's like I, it didn't exist, you know, the first couple times I read it. Um, but uh, my, my boss, my wife, they sent me away to uh, a sex intensive, sex addiction intensive. Um, that was like a it was like a 12 hour day, like multiple day kind of thing. And I, I finally got to the place as I was going through that, you know, Due to some of my research, some of the stuff I've been considering, I was like, I don't have a sex addiction. And I was like, if I don't have a sex addiction, then that means I probably have narcissism. 
And that was something that I didn't want to come to terms with. But it was at that point where I was like, I've exhausted all the other stuff. It's not a curse. You know, it's all, all, not all this other stuff. So it's got to be something. So I ended up reaching out. I, I went to uh, EMDR therapy. Uh, I did that for a period of like six months um, where I just went in and it cleared some it cleared some trauma, some emotional trauma that like I didn't even know that I had. Um, you know, I walked in, I was like trauma, like I don't have trauma, like nobody beat me or anything like that, you know? So like I walked in and so that was a whole different thing. So six months of that. And then a little bit after that, I started into uh, regular, like, you know, like cognitive, like you know, behavioral based, like therapy and started working with a therapist, went through four different therapists before I found the one that I was with now. Um, one of the therapists like ghosted me. One of the therapists was like super judgy and I'm like, okay, I don't feel safe to share my story. Uh, the other one like tried to gaslight me saying that we talked about ADHD and I was like, no, we talked about narcissism. So I was like, okay, forget that. Uh, went to the therapist I'm with now in first session, you know, she just kind of opened it up first session. We kind of went through some stuff and we got like halfway through and i didn't get like choked up but like i felt something almost like that effect and i was like this is where i'm supposed to be and so now it's been 19 months that i've actually been you know with that therapist on a on a weekly basis um make sure that i go every single week uh kind of one thing that i like to preface with it is i went to emdr therapy for six months and then was in regular therapy after that for about well, like three months and then that's when my wife left me because there wasn't even though i was doing the work i was putting stuff in there wasn't actually change behavior and it was one of those things that like when she left you know it was literally like the day she left um i met up with somebody else like later that day so she was gone for about a quarter a little bit over a quarter of a year and the only reason she came back one she had to come back to even get stuff and she decided she was going to come back she was going to give it like a trial run of like i'll be here for like a month you know i'll be here for a short period of time to see you know if there's changed behavior and when she came back there was changed behavior because of stuff that i've been working on the stuff that i've been realizing over a period of time while she's been gone so um now she's been back uh we've been doing um i've been doing therapy now for 19, 19 months of that particular style of therapy. My wife has been doing therapy for, uh, gosh, like almost like double that, probably like two and a half, maybe close to like three years. Uh, we started couples therapy a little bit ago, like this year. Uh, what did I say, like February, maybe something like that, um, which I don't recommend to most people as far as like if they're with a narcissist to go to therapy with that person. We felt like it was at a good timing because we already had single therapy for a period of time underneath our belts. And so we figured there was um, a way we could come back together and work on it. Um, and there was also all three of our therapists signed like NDAs. So like all three of them could talk and see if we were like, you know, saying stuff that wasn't true either way. So um, then, uh, I, so I guess kind of wrap up some of my story. So I started, I started just doing TikToks and stuff like that. I started actually on Instagram uh, a year ago in March, in March of 2021. And I just originally was posting like on my personal page. I was like sharing, you know, just some posts. Wasn't doing a video, just sharing some posts about narcissism, about stuff that I was learning, about the lies that I believe. And that's when I started having some people like kind of come out of the woodwork like at me. And it wasn't the regular people you'd think. It was the the Christians that I went to school with or that I grew up with or, you know, that were in the churches. And I and never forget, there's one guy that contacted me that was like a friend in college. And he was like, dude, he's like, you really be thinking about what you're putting on on the Internet because like, you have a wife and a daughter. And, you know, I thought about that and I was like, yeah, 
that's why I want to be putting this out on the internet because I don't want my daughter to actually end up getting with someone like me who's going to be that type of abusive person to someone else. And so um, I kind of like kind of like disappeared a little bit. I kind of pulled back from posting, doing stuff, stuff like that. And I went and I finally filmed like my first TikTok and started having like traction there. It started growing really quickly. So end of end of last year yeah in october is when um people had started asking me about hey you should do one-on-ones you should start talking to people so i started doing some coaching that turned into a full coaching size regiment um got on all the different platforms around december january time and then ended up uh just seeing the business like pick up really well as far as like hey there's a huge aspect that i can be a huge help to people putting out content on all different platforms and then trying to meet with people really all over the globe it's really amazing because uh i get up I normally have like my first appointment is available at like 5 a.m. in the morning. So I'm normally talking to people, you know, across the pond in the UK or like Australia going to bed or like Hawaii. It's, you know, like midnight. You know, there's a whole bunch of different people that I like talk to all across the globe to try to be able to help them just raise awareness of what narcissism actually is. And that's kind of what we built Raw Motivations on, which is the four pillars of awareness, growth, healing, and change. That's like the, the guiding aspect of what we do as Raw Motivations to help people understand and help people heal moving forward. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> you, you got that down pat. Um, yeah, <laughs> quite a story, man, for sure. So uh, I, I, of course I have questions now. Yeah. Um, I would say my first would be just a, it's kind of a personal one, but this is all personal. So um, did your wife know about the affairs the entire time or was that something she learned? Like, was there a big to do yeah, that changed things? Yeah. So my wife knew about the first affair a year after it happened. So like year, so we had year one of marriage affair was year two. So basically the end of year two, beginning of year three, she knew about that affair. The rest of them, she didn't know about till I'm going to lose track of my timeline, but she didn't know about those like till the very end. That's when she found out about um, the other three. And then a couple months later, she found out about the fifth one. Well, I mean, sure. let me, let me tell you, if, so I had a friend, um, not that long ago who had a, I, I never liked his wife. I mean, I, I just, she, we just didn't get along right. oil and oil and water, you know? Um, but it, he had a lapse of judgment and had an affair. It was very short. It was one time, but he, he did that. And I, I remember the one thing when he told me this, besides, you know, me automatically going, okay, I, I don't think any, think badly of you. I'm not judging you. I love, I still love you. You know, I hope you're going for forgiveness here with your, with your wife. And he, he goes, oh yeah, well, she, she told me she would never leave me and she's, she's staying and she's going to help me through this. And I'm like, I never felt more respect for that woman than when he told me that. And so your wife is I would say a very respectable person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. so she's a quite a quite a badass to be able to put up with everything I've put her through and still make the decision to you know come back. But I mean, there's also you know boundaries and stipulations that she decided before she even came back of like you know if there's not change behavior, then you know that month coming yeah. back is me packing and you know moving out because when right. she moved, it was also it wasn't like a hey we're doing a separation. It was like. She she applied and took a job out of state. She moved out of state, you know, into into her mom's house. She took her daughter. Like it was like
like a it was a move it wasn't just like a you know oh i'm gonna you know visit for a couple of weeks it was like no i'm gonna move and i don't know if i'm you know coming back or when i do it's just gonna grab feet or grab my stuff yeah right I, I had a question actually. So with the, uh, you said early on, you know, with, with your relationship is always one after another, you know, it's going good. You have that kind of like honeymoon phase, even in dating, and then it kind of drops off and you go to the next thing. And I guess the question I had was kind of like, how much of that do you think is due to the, the narcissistic personality disorder? And how much of that do you think? Cause I, I see this with a lot of people who are not narcissists as well. And I've talked about this before. I feel like a lot of what we have as a society or as a culture is this, uh, what do you, what do you call it? the, the one true love soulmate type lie that right. we, we believe all the time. Mm -hmm. So people are constantly going, Oh, as soon as my relationship doesn't feel like a rom-com or doesn't feel like a, a Hollywood movie, well, then that must not be my one true love. And they kind of are looking for that always. So I feel like that's just something partially, at least societal where it's like, yeah, Oh, this isn't, this doesn't feel good right now. So it must not be that it's Hollywood the, movie that I was the promised. Disney version that we're looking for. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's, part of it that, that goes into your story or yeah i would say i think that's like part you know i think that, yeah. that definitely comes into it i think another aspect uh with it was also like the idea of um sorry i like lost my train of thought there um i think i think that's like an aspect of it as far as like you're looking for like ideal love or you're looking for like that soulmate or like that perfect right. person um but there's also like the aspect of of growing up what i experienced and then what i realized in relationships that i was doing was mm -hmm. my version of love or what i thought was love was also control and so right. like, okay. the other person having freedom or the other person you know like my idea sometimes of like hey if this person has freedom then they're not going to keep picking me or they're not going to keep coming back so if i limit that freedom then you know they'll always still be mine they'll always still come back and so that's how you know you know several of like the first like girlfriends and stuff like that you know faded off really fast because of the fact of like they didn't like that aspect of like control or even like clinginess in one sense of like hey like he wants to know what's going on he wants to know where i am like that kind of stuff um i think is where it kind of like transitions a little bit more of being you know controlling but viewing that twisting that in my mind of like hey control means that yeah i love this person or them you know being in communication with me or you know sharing the location you know whatever it might be you know that kind of a thing was you know what i viewed as being like my version of love at that point gotcha yeah, yeah. Uh, so you you talked about did you say seven lies? Yes. Were, okay. So could you walk me through what those were? I yeah. Mean, um, I'm gonna have to pull them up so I can actually like say them like word for word <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise otherwise I will I will botch it. Um, <laughs> so it's been it's been I'm actually coming up. Um, uh, I'm actually coming up here on three years of being inside Warrior, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and so it's been been three years ago since I've done it. I've still still kind of worked through it. I've still like gone through like several different things with it. So, um, yeah, so there's seven different lies that I had. So the first one here, uh, lie number one, uh, I can do this on my own. Uh, lie number two, uh, I am a good person. Lie number three was I deserve happiness. Lie number... Oops, where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Lie number four was God is not good enough for me. Uh, lie number five was I am committed to Kayla. Lie number six, I was in love with other women. And lie number seven, I can never win love. Hmm. Hmm. 
That's very uh, densely packed. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. So like it, it um coming on the the warrior challenge, the wake up warrior challenge on like the last couple of days, it's uh, a lot more aggressive of some of the stuff that we're doing. And one of the things is you actually go on, you know, multiple mile hike. And as you go, you take these rocks and you have to pick up seven different rocks and put them in your backpack as you go up a mountain, basically. And, you know, while you're going, you're having to think through what are the costs of the lies that I have. So you, you, you go for a while, you sit down, you write stuff, you go for a while, sit down, write stuff of like, you know, what are the costs of the lies? You know, how much, you know, how much money is it cost? How much time is it cost? How much effort, you know, all different types of things. And then trying to get, you know, deep and deep down into like, what are the lies that you believe and what are the things you actually have to, you know, reconstruct in your life that actually you built on a foundation of fiction versus a foundation of like reality. So, sorry, really quick, those seven lies that you were talking about, those are seven lies that you had to come up with um, through your time in the warrior? Or... On my own, like those are mine personally. They Does everybody mine. have to do seven? Is that the... Uh, typically when I went through it, that was, that was their criteria as far okay. as like, that's what they were. You had seven rocks. You had to pick up each one and yep. signifying like a lie that you're Sorry, I just to. wanted to clarify because I, I, yeah, I, I think yeah. I might have missed that part. So no, yeah, no, absolutely. Gotcha. Uh, let me, I, I don't want to dig in too deep. Uh, I, I, I want, I don't want you to be uncomfortable because apparently no, I'm you're fine. a very empathetic <laughs> person. Um, <laughs> but um, the one, the one that really stuck out to me was uh, God is not good enough for me. That one you, stuck out to me as well. I was curious about that. Can you, can you walk me through uh, how that lie worked and mm -hmm. uh, what that meant for your life when you believed it? Yeah. So like a big part in thinking through that and a big part in thinking like God is not good enough for me really comes down to the idea of not good enough to, for me to trust him with my life and with the direction I'm going, which also means not good enough of like, hey, like you screwed up my life, like you screwed up my life of giving me the wrong person. You know, it's one of these other people, but it's not my wife, you know, because that doesn't work. You know, that's the issue. Um, like God being good enough as far as like the idea of, you know, he's, he's not either for me. Um, he doesn't love me or like the idea of like, Hey, like no matter what I do, like, I'm also not going to be good enough. And so like, no matter, it was, it was almost like the idea. And, and one of the things that attracted me to worry at the beginning was the fact that it wasn't biblically based at that point. Now it's, it's actually changed since I've been a part of it. It's kind of cool. Um, the main guy has actually like, you know, um, come come to more realization has been baptized has changed curriculum and so it's been really fascinating to see um but you know the beginning like he was talking about like i've been to church i've done all this stuff like it, nothing was working and i felt i resonated with that so much because i was like i was like going through affairs going through cycles all this kind of stuff and people just saying love god more didn't really do anything like it didn't connect. Right. So I was like, obviously like something isn't working or like this isn't good enough for me to actually adhere to this. And ultimately goes down to like that aspect of trust. So like I'm at unwilling to actually trust him with anything more than what I want to do because I want to make sure that I'm getting, I'm getting that happiness. I deserve happiness. You know, I'm doing all this stuff that I want to do to make sure that I have it because if I trust him, you know, it's not going to be the way I want it. If, right. It feels like a familiar lie that I've heard a lot of people say and that I've even, you know, at times believed myself, which is that I'm not good enough which for, for God, which you kind of said was part of it as well. And I, I find it interesting because it seems like the result is the same. The result is, you know, um, I'm not, you know, either I'm God's not good enough for me. He's not working. It doesn't work. He doesn't love me or I'm not good enough for God. He can never love me. And either way, I'm just going to continue down this self-destructive path. So I, mm -hmm. I find that kind of interesting.
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I find, I find part of that, not necessarily towards like the God aspect, but a huge part in like survivors coming out of narcissistic abuse is I'm not good enough, you know, right. or like I wasn't worth enough, you know, because they're attributing different value to that other person. And for me, you know, there was, there was a big aspect of like the narcissistic aspect of like, I thought I was good enough. You know, I thought I was the best thing ever, you know, and everybody else was, you know, idiots, you know, <laughs> so it, was, it was one of those things that like I already had like a huge sense of ego, but it was that trust factor of like, like God, God isn't saving me. He's not stopping this. Like, I can't figure this out. Like he's not almost like he's not big enough in one sense, like mm -hmm. big enough to be able to solve the problems where if I trust, like he's going to screw me over. Right. Well, and that's, what's interesting is a lot of time I was having, I've had conversations with several different people recently who were talking about how they, they don't have faith or they don't understand faith or whatever. And one of the recurring things that I've had to say is faith is trust. At its heart, it's trust. And the question is, do you trust him? Not, is there this magical under, understanding and belief that you have? Is it, right. do, it's do you trust him? And so I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up trust because it's like, I don't think people make that connection all the time. For some reason that gets missed and I don't understand how. And that was that was a huge aspect of me actually growing and changing, even with the self-awareness part. So like you have to think like even after my wife came back, there's times I'm sitting in therapy being like, I hate this and I don't want this. Like I'm still here. I'm still doing the stuff that I know I need to do. But like my heart wasn't always in it. And my heart was like, you know, wait a second. Like, can I actually do this? Like, is there actually something better than what I'm thinking? Because I was doubting that trust. And I actually wrote something down, you know, now that you mentioned the trust thing, I want to kind of like share that I actually wrote something down. This is going back um, last year, uh, be April, let me say April 23rd last year. And what I did is I actually, I was struggling with this. I remember I was actually, I was actually out in the woods, like walking around, like praying. And I was actually like trying to figure this out. I was like, this is like so frustrating of like, how do I actually get to the place of like trusting God? And it was something that I feel like, I felt like I couldn't grasp. I couldn't hold, like hold on to. So I kind of like built this like equation and I kind of like, I'll say it like backwards and hopefully it'll make sense. So like what I realized is a huge aspect is like, I had to be able to have gratitude in order to be able to tap into joy, like gratitude leading to joy. I had to be able to have joy in order to lead to love. And then love ended up leading to no fear. No fear ended up leading to trust and trust leading to give God all. And that's kind of like an equation that I like started like building together. And then I started realizing like, wait a second, the reason why, you know, part of the fundamental reason why I can't even tap into trusting God is because I'm not even joyful. You know, I don't even have like right. gratitude about who I am, about what he's done and about like where I am in life. And so as a result, there's almost like not, not necessarily just like a block, but there's almost like an idea of like a block of like, you can't, like, I don't think you can get to joy if you don't have like gratitude. So it's almost like building blocks that I kind of stumbled across in my own personal journey that I was like, Hey, if I'm going to get to this place, I actually need to learn how to do these basic things leading up to it. Can you, can you say that equation again, real quick, like yeah. sum it up again. So gratitude leading to joy, joy leading to love, love leading to no fear, no fear leading to trust and trust leading to give God all. Gotcha. Yeah, no, really, I, I really like how you're breaking things down so that you can uh, grasp it personally, because I feel like there are people who just automatically 
get or understand things when they're in conversation, when they're taught. And then there are other people like and it depends. I think everyone has some place in their life for this where they have to stop and recontextualize things so that they can actually grasp it. And, you know, that takes a level of self-awareness that I think a lot of people don't have. I just happened to be a navel gazing uh, teenager, you know, like I was I, very, I'm very secure in me, um, <laughs> which is dumb. Uh, it's wild how like very secure, but insecure or like, it's like the poles, like right. it's two sides of the coin that I'm, uh, I dealt with as a kid. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's what I wonder, or I, I feel like people need to understand um, is you, you talk about how you make, um, you make sure to bring awareness to narcissistic abuse and those who've, who've dealt with it. Um, in your own life, I, I, I see you, you've talked about cheating, which I think would obviously be a part of that. Um, but what else does that look like? How does narcissistic abuse look for the person being abused? How do you realize that that's what's going on? Yeah. So that's a huge part that a lot of people are confused about a lot of times because you have as a whole, you don't only have like two types of narcissists. You have like overt and covert. Um, the overt ones are a lot easier a lot of times. And those are the ones you typically think of as being like narcissistic or like being like the big like assholes in one sense of how they're like treating different people. With abuse, a lot of times it comes in different aspects where you have um, not just like physical abuse, you know, that's a whole aspect, but then you also have mental and emotional abuse. And typically what you'll see is you'll see different aspects of the narcissist that'll try to distort reality in order to get what they're trying to do. So like how I normally describe it is narcissists typically distort reality in three different ways. They do it with gaslighting. And so like trying to convince you, Hey, what just happened didn't actually happen. Like you didn't see that. I didn't say that. Like I didn't actually do that, but you know, it happened and it plays in your head of like, wait a second. Like, you start to doubt yourself. That's where the self-confidence and the self-worth drops of like, okay, my gut isn't like wise enough to tell, to see what actually happened because this person that I love and that's supposed to be loving me is telling me, no, that actually didn't happen. Then there's like distorting reality in like the present of like love bombing and love bombing is like the overt praise over gifts. But the goal behind it really is not this like, Oh, like I love you so much. It's to give you what you want in that moment. So you ignore the present stuff that's an issue so like you know let's say cheating but let's say like you know other stuff you know like gambling like whatever whatever it might be that's causing attention in the relationship let me hide that by you know piling on so many gifts you can't see the shit underneath kind of a thing and then there's um with the three of them then there's also future faking and future faking is doing anything to be able to get you to look forward of like, I'm going to change, I'm going to get better, we're going to go on this trip, it'll be a great vacation, all this kind of stuff that there's no intention of happening. It's just, hey, let me get you to focus on that. So we stop focusing on me of holding myself accountable or responsible, anything we can do to get past that. So those are like the three ways that narcissists, a lot of times I talk about distort reality. But when we're talking about narcissistic abuse, it goes from there to like, even more aspects, you know, from, from the gaslighting, all different types of things like that. But you have narcissists with like a high sense of ego, you know, the grandiose like thoughts and processes. You have a big sense of entitlement. Um, you've got a lot of manipulation that goes into it of expecting like immediate um, like response or like a, um, a compulsion in one sense of like, hey, you're going to do what I want you to do. Um, a, a huge one that a lot of times people like talk about is the idea of like lack of empathy, um, which 
my personal opinion is it's more like 50% that narcissists like actually don't have empathy. I think there's a lot of times that narcissists do have empathy, but it's the willing choice to not show it so that they don't have to feel responsible for what they just caused. So there's, there's a whole nother aspect about that. Um, and there's a couple other things, but like, there's a lot of different things that go into it. That's, that is why a lot of times people coming out of narcissistic abuse feel crazy because they're like, I didn't know what was actually going on. And then all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, this example and you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I dealt with for, you know, five, 15 years kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the lack of empathy is something that, um, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you realize that you lack empathy and, and is it, I would ask, what does it feel like, but I'm guessing nothing, right? Like, <laughs> how do you, how do you describe that? Uh, it's like trying to see out of your elbow. Like, right. You, you no, absolutely. I mean, but. I mean, I think, I think the difference is, you know, when we're talking like lack of empathy, it's like the idea of like something happens to someone else and other people are like, oh, I can like feel that or I can see that. And like for a narcissist, something happens to someone else, unless it's happening to like me, it's like, Okay. Like there's, there's no like feeling or thought there. So like, um, yeah, I don't know, like maybe, maybe like, you know, you're walking through the house and you stub your toe and it like really hurts really bad. You know, the other person might be like, dang, like that hurts. And I know that hurts because I've experienced that before. The narcissist, like, it doesn't even like phase them. It's like, why should I care? Because I don't have those emotions. I don't have those feelings. So like give me an example. It was probably, probably like uh, it's probably like six months ago now. Um, my daughter was like, like, we're learning how to like turn doorknobs and stuff like that. She's trying to get in one of the rooms, couldn't get the doorknob to work. Like she still couldn't get it. The door was stuck or whatever. And so, I mean, she was like two, two and a half at this point. She just like got frustrated, kind of like reared back her head and just like hit the door kind of thing. And so, and then she starts crying because, you know, she just hurt her head. And, you know, my first thought is like, well, what'd you expect? And right. so like the difference there is like, you know, other people will be like, oh my gosh, like you're crying, like you're hurt, like that kind of a thing. That's not something that's typically like innate. And so for me coming into the picture is more like working on, you know, cognitive of like what's actually cognitive empathy and how do I practice that? How do I do the reps? Not so that I'm faking it, but I'm knowing, hey, this is what I need to do in order to connect with this person or to help them through whatever they're going through. Right. Um, so like for a, as a silly example, um, so it's like, you know, you're scrolling on TikTok and you see a guy get hit in the nuts or he falls off and he breaks his leg. Mm -hmm. And like I can I have like phantom pain in my leg or my crotch region. Right. Is that something you experience or no? No. OK, see, that's a connection <laughs> that I can understand. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, okay. it, uh, it doesn't it doesn't really connect on on that level. Maybe, maybe that's why there's so many surgeons that uh, people claim are narcissists because they can actually like cut someone open and just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, right. whereas if I watch them, like, Ugh. <laughs> it's like almost you can feel it. Um, I, I was curious, though, like for like a less like extreme example, just out of curiosity of something like um, like in a relationship, a big part of it is you want to be heard and seen by your partner. Right. So like in a relationship, it might be, hey, this is important to me and I want to share it with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's just something I've experienced in the past, like, Hey, I want to share this with you. And they're like, yeah, but I, I'm not interested. I don't care. Like, it doesn't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. So like they have zero, it, would that be like a, a good example of like a, a more like a mundane example of, uh, 
Yeah, that, that'd be like if we're talking the narcissist world, like that would be a little bit more on the lines of like, say, like an overt narcissist that's just gonna be like, no, I don't care about you. Like, I don't care what you have to bring to the table. Like, right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me. You know, for for someone that might be even on like the covert side, they might listen and never respond or they might listen and mm. not care or they might listen and use what you're actually communicating your vulnerabilities as a way to be able to dog whistle you or to be able to trigger you later down the road because now they know what makes you tick gotcha speaking of um gaslighting this i I mean i know that this is a concept that came from the title of a movie which is kind of funny um but boy did it have a big surge in uh, popularity in using the phrase within the last few years. I mean, there, it was wild watching people on television say, Donald Trump is gaslighting me. And I'm like, he's never spoken to you. And you're just telling the world that you feel crazy. So what, what is going on here? Right. Um, but what's interesting about that is it seems like more often than not, when people use um, the term gaslighting, it seems to me that they're misusing it. Is that something that you've noticed or something that would bug you or gets in your way at all? Or has the the understanding helped? I would say for gaslighting in particular, I would say no, that's not something I've noticed as much. Um, I would say as far as like stuff that people misunderstand or or misconstrue, really like in the narcissistic world, I would say would come down to really like narcissists in general, and then also reactive abuse. I think those are the two things that a lot of times people get confused on. So like with narcissism and narcissism as a whole, like it does get overused. I think you kind of mentioned at the beginning, like it does get overused and people define that and do that, like say that like all the time, like, oh, that's just a narcissist kind of thing without knowing, you know, like, like some people will, will look like, oh, well, like, you know, my person cheated on me like multiple times. It doesn't mean they're a narcissist, you know, because even, you know, a cheating is not one of the nine characteristics that actually makes up a narcissist. You have to have five out of the nine characteristics to be classified as a narcissist or have NPD per the DSM-5. And so a lot of times people will be like, oh, like, you know, they're a liar and they're a cheater. That makes them a narcissist. Like, no, not really. There's more things that have to actually, you know, go with that criteria. Would you mind going through the nine with us? Yeah, the, no, that's, absolutely. That's it. That's asking probably for you to look <laughs> something up. But <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have it pulled up, so you're, you're totally fine. So mm-hmm. I normally I normally have it with me, and I made sure to pull it up um, right now because I, I filmed this at, at night at home, and I have uh, other stuff in my office and all. But yeah, so yeah, we can go through them. You want me to read through all nine? Uh, yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Cool. I'll, I'll I'll tell you by the end if PJ is a narcissist or not. That's good. That's good. We, can, we can self-diagnose. That's what we... Uh, four out of nine. Four out of nine. Okay. We not to do. Yeah. Borderline. <laughs> you know, honestly, sometimes when I talk to a narcissist, when I'm going through and like we want to dive into them, I don't say up front, hey, you need to have five out of nine because they'll do that. They'll be like, mm. oh yeah, I only I, I only identified with four. I actually had one. I actually had one appointment a while ago. Um, I think I Ben just called me a narcissist. <laughs> I do. I do some couples, and I had a I had a um I had a guy who was like textbook of everything I'm talking through, like narcissist, like going through, like he was he actually like like in in front of my face, he gaslit his wife about the conversation. It was it was incredible. It, I I probably that was probably the most I've ever like cussed in a in a session ever <laughs> because I was like pissed, but like. But like he looked at me and he was like, all right, well, let's go through them. Like, tell me the nine. Tell me the nine. I was like, no. I was like, do your own dang research. Because I was like, I'm not going to tell you the nine. So you can half identify with two, identify with one, and then be like, oh, I'm not this kind of thing. So right. um, that's just a random side note. But 
All right, narcissistic personality disorder, it's got nine different traits, okay? And so the kind of opening thing of it is a pervasive pattern of grandiosity and fantasy or behavior, need for admiration, lack of empathy, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. Number one, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. So example, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without... Uh, I can never say it without the commensurate achievements. So I just say without those achievements because it's a lot easier every single time. All right. (laughs) Number two is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited power, success, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Number three believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood or should associate with other special or high status people or sometimes institutions. Uh, Number four requires excessive admiration. Number five, has a sense of entitlement. So example is unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. Number six is interpersonally exploitative. So it takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. Uh, Number seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. That's why I also kind of differentiate that I think Half of them have, half of them don't. Um, Number eight as well is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. And number nine shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Gotcha. So how many of those did you connect with? I feel like you said it earlier, but I can't remember. I don't think I did. So you're good. Uh, at, At one point or another, all nine. Okay. All, all nine have been something it was even something i came i came home one day when i was talking through it with with a therapist because i mean it took took a you know multiple months took a period of time before you know my therapist was even oh with all Did these we lose him oh you're back you're back yeah. it was months until what uh it was months <laughs> until like my therapist you know you know actually would say or like came to the conclusion you know because it he has to go over a period of time it's not like you can just be like oh yeah you're a narcissist right. kind of like and I remember like I came home and I was like, oh, look, I identified with all these. I think I listed out like seven and like the other two I didn't list out. And Kayla's like, well, yeah, but with those two, what about this, 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 this? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah they, I've at one point or another, I've identified with with all of them to, to some degree or another. Gotcha. Man, it's it, so. I think that it's hard because, you know, I I am. I don't relate to many of those, but it's it it seems like for me personally, I have like I said, it's the insecurity and the security on it's like a coin uh, both sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting about that is through um, through my my mom just, <laughs> she just <laughs> see your mom in the chat. <laughs> uh, she just threw threw off my 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 thoughts. Um, what was I saying? Oh. For for different reasons, I you know I have some um, insecurity. I have some you know different things like that, low self esteem in different areas. But I'm like a very fake it till you make it kind of person. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and I do things and I work on things I want to work on. Uh, but sometimes that leads to me sounding cocky. I think, and so I always worry. Oh, does that mean I'm a narcissist? Because <laughs> I'm like this. Because I've heard someone. It's like oh yeah, it's someone who doesn't really. Uh, think that highly of themselves, but really thinks highly. Of, and I'm like, is that me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be. <laughs> right. um, so what, 
when it comes to the abuse, when it comes to you helping um, other people who are narcissistic, um, is this something that uh, how many people are you do you end up talking to? Are they coming to you? Are there is their wife sending them to you? Like, how does how is that? How does that part of it work? Yeah. So to give kind of like full picture, um, out of everybody that I see, there's probably about 5% that are narcissists, um, mainly because they don't want to, you know, there's not like that aspect of being either self-aware of wanting to admit the stuff that's actually inside and especially wanting to admit that to someone else. So 95% of the people that I see are narcissistic abuse survivors or people that are trying to make sense of mm. the crazy making. They're looking for that clarity or they're looking for that closure as they come out of it kind of a thing. Um, the people that I do see that are narcissistic or narcissist or, you know, some that I've talked to for a while and passed off or, you know, you know, recommended, gotten rid of to a therapist or something like that and seen, you know, bigger diagnosis come out. I'm like, whew, past that one, you know, um, some of those that I've seen, you know, uh, is like a 5% of what I work with. And then probably out of that, people that typically come back after the first one is probably closer to like 1% of like actually narcissistic or maybe like 0.5 because it's very, very small. I do have people that be like, you know, like my girlfriend, you know, my ex-girlfriend sent me your videos and said I should book with you. And they're just doing to check the box. Like they're just doing to be like, oh, like all this or, or you'll find the person that all they want during an appointment is they just want like, do you think I'm a narcissist? Do you think I'm a narcissist? Do you think I'm a narcissist? I'm like, I'm not telling you that, you know, because I can tell how they're going through it, that they just want to be like, oh, I talked to a narcissist. He said I wasn't a narcissist. So therefore, and they're just going to go back and they're going to gaslight the person that they, you know, just, mm. that just broke up with them or like anything like that. Well, that's the problem with the the term gaslighting is because it was... Uh, when it was kind of introduced to the public, it was not uh, introduced in a deep way or in a way that like really shows what it is and how it can hurt. Mm -hmm. And so like one of my things was um, I, I, I am, I think it's funny. I'm a prankster. I think it's funny mm -hmm. to do different things. And one of the things that I did to my late father um, was one time uh, we were, we were in the house and um, he was he had gone to bed and he he took NyQuil every night. Um, I don't know why. I, I don't know if it helped him sleep or what. Um, but he took NyQuil every night. And one night, one day morning, he woke up and the NyQuil was in the fridge. And he was like blaming every single person except for himself for putting this in the fridge. And so me being a prankster, every single time I after he'd go to bed from that point on, I would put it into the fridge just to see how he would re how he would react or whatever. And like, I would occasionally, my wife was like, you gaslit me. I was like, no, I didn't. I just pretended that you weren't talking for the, the whole time you were talking <laughs> because I thought it was funny to go, Oh, that's a weird thing to say out of the blue. Like, I just think that's funny. Right. Um, and so when, when you have done any form of like legitimate gaslighting, uh, what has that looked like? I mean, how how does it help you to do that? Is it just a control? It's a control factor, typically going back to image. 
you know, of how I want to appear, or how I want to look. So like uh, probably the easiest aspect in um, the relationships that I was in and in like the affairs and stuff like that was like gaslighting my wife about what she was seeing, thinking and feeling about recognizing that, hey, there's inappropriate relationships going on between him and someone else, whether that was like seeing stuff or texts or like, you know, times or places, stuff like that and convincing her that everything that she was feeling and thinking wasn't valid and wasn't legitimate because I mean, that's ultimately where we get, you know, go back to the, like the movie of like gaslighting of like thinking like, wait, like, is this actually my reality? Like, no, like you're actually looking at like a different reality. And so being able to convince her, like, you know, no, what you just saw of, you know, me spending time with this person or, you know, a text that seemed like more sexual, like that wasn't real. Like that wasn't actually what we were doing or that was a joke or, you know, anything like that to try to reduce like her gut or her idea of, wait, I think something's actually wrong. Do you think part of that is just to like save yourself from an uncomfortable situation or is it to justify it to yourself? That's a good question. Um, I think part, I think it's both. So I think there's an aspect of, I want to be able to justify it to myself because ultimately I would say it this way, ultimately the first person that the narcissist has to gaslight and we're talking about like changing reality is themselves. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to say like, Hey, what I'm doing I know I shouldn't be doing, but I'm going to twist it around in my mind to say that it's okay to do because of my ego, because of my entitlement. It's okay if I do this because they obviously should comply with my needs. So like, there's an aspect of like knowing that having to justify that to myself and the whole idea, like I mentioned of distorting reality is like, let me do this so that it doesn't shine back on me because if it shines back on me, there's an opportunity that it might actually expose like vulnerability, shame, guilt and some of those are huge aspects that narcissists is typically like running from or trying to hide so with 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 gaslighting yourself first as you said is that part of the reason why you think you only see five percent of people who are actually narcissists you think it's like just extremely hard for them to get around that uh barrier to actually like recognize what what they're doing to themselves yeah, I think like, it's hard or... to get around the barrier of being honest with who they actually are yeah that's because, what I was... um i had i had a time like with my therapist i went through um, I was going through, I was actually, I don't know, it was like a year ago or something like that, but I was going through, uh, psychopath free, a book that I was actually like reading and using even for some for content and stuff like that. And I got to the section that was talking about how narcissists, how narcissists, psychopaths, everything like that, how they groom their victims. And I like read through that chapter and like, I had to like, I had to set the book down because I was like, I didn't think that that was the stuff that was in there. I was like, that's stuff that I did. And I didn't realize that some of that stuff, because in my mind, like I mentioned before, like love was control. And so like, if I was controlling another person, then there was an aspect that I thought I was being loving. So there's different aspects of that, that I was like, holy cow. And I started revealing more stuff when we started doing more inner work. And I remember sitting in, in her office and being like, I'm struggling with the thought. And it was like a, whenever I read that, it was like two, three weeks. That was like rough, like really rough, just like mentally for me. And I was like sitting there, I was like, I'm struggling with the thought of who am I? Am I, am I the man or am I the monster? And like having to sit with like that paradox in one sense, she even said like the fact that you're even sitting with that paradox being a narcissist is amazing. You haven't already run out of the room because she was like being able to even sit with that concept is, is very like polarizing for someone who is shame avoidant and is always trying to run from that or to build walls or to build masks to be able to avoid actually having that accountability that shows back to myself, the shame that's inside. And I'll never forget what she said. It was like, 
it was wonderful and awful at the same time. I was like, you know, am I the man or the monster? And she looked right back at me and she was like, maybe you're both. And I was like, <laughs> how did that supposed to help me? But, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that we've worked through through since then. And I, I'm grateful for everything she's done to be able to try to help me understand that as far mm -hmm. as like, you know, maybe there is an aspect of, of both sides of you in there. There's both sides that have done those things. And there's also upbringing there's also the habits there's also the different things that have happened that if you put someone in that situation or like for instance if it put me in that situation you know maybe i was the man but i was acting as the monster because of those different things that i'd already been yeah. used to or the habits that i formed um that's it's this is all so so interesting jimmy yeah. um so i i had a question and i can't remember what it was so i'm going to ask cody's uh, my buddy Cody, um, who is going to be one of my future um, guest co-hosts, uh, asked, said, narcissist is one of those words like pedophile in that the psychological disposition gets confused with the behavior. But obviously, you're trying to figure out ways to not let the disposition lead you to immoral behavior. Have you found that you get a lot of judgment just for acknowledging the disposition? Yeah, so like just acknowledging being a narcissist kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I would say a decent amount. Um, I definitely don't get as much flack as like Lee Hammock, mental healness on like TikTok and stuff like that. I mean, but he also has like 1.5 million. Um, he no. definitely gets like a lot more flack. He was actually sharing stuff with me today. There's actually, um, I think it's on Reddit. There's actually like posts and like whole like threads like dedicated to like you know, F Lee Hammock and like all this kind of stuff that's like people like coming out. And a lot of times you have a lot of narcissists that come after him being like he's stigmatizing or he's being mean to us, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, I'm just like, I'm just telling it like it is, you know, yeah. this is this is who I am. And, uh, you know, if if I'm stigmatizing or if I'm bringing up stuff that, you know, isn't true. Well, there's a heck of a lot of people that are out mm -hmm. there that are saying this is exactly the same thing that my husband or that my wife like put me through. I find that super fascinating because one of the things that one of the first thoughts I had when uh, Cam asked me to be on this episode and told me who you were and I, I was looking at what you do with raw motivations is that in our society, it seems like there's a there's a like a real um, acceptance of just being like, hey, this is this is what I am. This is my uh, self self prescribed personality disorder. And isn't it great and wonderful and praise me. And what you're doing seems to be entirely opposite. You're not only taking on a very honest uh, doctor, you know, prescribed uh, or whatever you would call it. You're you're um, saying, hey, this is something that's not good about me. This is something that I want to change. This is how I want to help people. So it seems to be just completely counterculture to be like, not only my recognizing something real about myself and instead of trying to just score points with it and be like, you know, feel sorry for me or whatever, get my Instagram, TikTok points. Right. You're actually saying there's something that can be done about it. There's something that's not good about it. And I want to change that. And I think you think that's where a lot of the, the attacks of stigmatization come from and things like that. Yeah. I think you, you normally, um, I'll never forget it. I, I forget. I think it was, a. Uh... Off the top of my head, I want to say it was like Keith Hackney, I think, that like actually said this quote. I, was, I, wa I stumbled across a reel of his, and it was like the, it, he said this idea of like, you know, hey, like, don't you see like all the people you're pissing off? Well, not the people I'm helping. <laughs> 
you know, right. like, yeah. like when it comes down to it, like there's going to be people that are mad at the message I'm putting out there because I'm exposing stuff that they don't want to be exposed in. And ultimately, like people that like watch my channel that are stuck with an abusive person and they leave that person, there's an aspect that those people get pissed off because that aspect just like outed, you know, some of the behaviors and some of the things that's going on. So I definitely do have and and honestly, like I have I have more. Mm, let's see. I would say I, I have more hate sometimes from unhealed people than I would say I do from narcissists currently. You know, I'm sure that'll change as my platform grows, but I have more people that will come out of the woodwork trying to bash me and what I'm doing. You know, like, you know, well, he's he's in it to get supply. He's in it to get money. He's in it to to pick up other women, like whatever it is, like they'll put anything, anything out there to try to like shame what I'm doing. And I'm like, OK, like if that's what you want to do, like watch and learn, you know, like I had someone on my on my platform. Uh, I think like a couple of weeks ago, like actually like say something um, just about like, you know, oh, well, they're always just in it for the supply or like, he's just doing it to, like for clout and stuff like that. And like never trust a narcissist, never like believe in narcissist and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, I'm not asking you to trust me. You know, if you don't want to trust me, like there's a ton of other coaches, a ton of other therapists that can help you. But I'm telling you how it is. And I'm telling you how it's real for me. If that ends up being something, you know, to be able to help you along your journey, then I'd love to be able to help in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you saw yeah, that. Um, <laughs> yeah, my mom, that's my mother. Um, so I remember my question. Um, in your opinion, uh, what would you say is the difference? Um, is there is there a real difference between um, lying to get out of trouble or lying to minimize consequence and gaslighting? So, you know, say um, your wife sees you texting a girl and it got a little flirty, but it wasn't sexual or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you tell her, you say, oh, no, it wasn't anything like that at all. There was not even any flirting. Is that gaslight? It, it, what's the big difference there? Because, I mean, it yeah. is trying to change what she saw. But... Right. Yeah. So I see where you're going with that. I think I think that aspect, like if we use that specific example, I would lean more to the idea of like lying, you know, versus it being like gaslighting. Because gaslighting for me, what I see is more like an actual shift in reality that the other person has to believe. Give you an example. Husband and wife were arguing in the kitchen. They had a home security system. So there's a camera in the kitchen. He said something and she's like, I can't believe you just said that to me. And his immediate response was, I didn't say that. Okay. So first idea was like, okay, it's like lying, you know, like he's just denying that it actually happened. And he's like, no, I didn't say that. So she, she pulls up the iPad, pulls up, runs back the video and plays the video. And he's like, I didn't say that. And she's like, no, like it's, it shows right here. You said X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I didn't say that. He had her so convinced that she actually had to take the video to friends and family, play it for them and be like, what did you hear? Because she was doubting her own reality because he was so sure of himself that he was saying like, that never happened. You're imagining it. You're, you're, you're putting words in my mouth, but I never said that she had to actually go to other people to validate that she wasn't crazy because he was making her believe something that didn't, that something that did happen to make her believe that it did. Gotcha. Do you think that they like, do you think that's something that that person actually has convinced themselves fully? They didn't say even after watching a video like that, do you think like the self delusion can be that strong or I think it can be um, if you practice it enough. 
You know, mm -hmm. if you if you practice them, and that's why, honestly, I think as narcissists age and as narcissists like do more narcissistic things as they get a very adept at lying and changing their reality, other people's reality. I think there's aspects that it does affect memory and it does cause different like memory gaps. Um, I think that that's smaller than what the narcissist would want you to say. Like, I don't remember all that stuff. A lot of times they do, but it's all goes back to shame avoidance. So like in that moment, like I know I just did this. So let me, let me, let me put it this way. Like, Hey, I just, so like in using the same example, Hey, I know I said that, but if I admit that, then I actually have to admit in that moment that I'm wrong. Right, Being right. wrong is a bigger hill to die on than it actually is to like own up to something that I actually said. So I'd rather, I'd rather gaslight the person. I'd rather convince them that they're crazy than I would actually admit that I'm wrong because that's going to pull out more stuff inside me that I don't want to deal with. So like when you think of, um, what we talk about would be shame, vulnerability, guilt. So when you think of it, guilt is I did something bad. And then it leads immediately to shame of I am bad. And so the narcissist, it jumps really quick of like, you know, they don't really have remorse. They don't really have guilt because it jumps so fast to what just happened means as a direct reflection of me. And I can't handle that. That's not something that I'm willing to acknowledge, which is why, you know, for the first like seven years of our marriage like i could there was a lot of times i would never even be able to physically say i was wrong like that was almost like a mental block of like if i say that that's actually admitting that i'm not the perfect person that i think and so like i couldn't like the words never even come out like i think the closest i ever got during that period of time is like maybe i was like less right you know but it was never like i was actually wrong and so like there's a huge aspect of not wanting to admit that which i'll tie it in really quick to empathy you know, I mentioned, I mentioned a couple of times, like, I think a, a lot of times people are like, oh, that person has no empathy. They're a narcissist. Well, not all narcissists are devoid of empathy. I think Sometimes there's a lot of narcissists. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of narcissists out there that have empathy, but the, but the switch is choosing to be able to acknowledge. And so that's one thing that I like in the DSM five, that it actually says lacks empathy. And then it goes on to say is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. How I normally explain that is I just did something that hurt my wife and she's sitting across the room. She's crying. She's upset in that moment. I know, Hey, if I go over there and give her a hug, that'll be, that'll make her feel better. And that's also portraying and showing empathy. The problem is if I walk over there and give her a hug, what I'm doing is I'm validating her feelings which means I'm validating her reasoning of why she's crying, which means that reasoning comes back to it being my fault. And so it's mm. a lot easier to stand there, let her cry, because that means I'm not acknowledging that I'm at fault. Wow. This is, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting is uh, when you talk about different mental illness or even just uh, neurological differences, people mm. really love to put people in very strict boxes of understanding how they are or what they should be. And I'm sure it's all very different. I have, I have two questions to ask before I forget it again. Um, uh, because I'm ADHD. Um, but, uh, one of the, one of my questions was, uh, you said something about how it would break down the concept of you being perfect in your mind. So very simple question. Did you believe you were perfect? I thought it was the best. Yeah. Okay. God, I, I want to be a narcissist. That'd be that sounds great, man. It sounds better than struggling with self doubt day in day out like I do. But I mean, it's like you mentioned. It's like two sides of the same yeah. coin, though, because it's the same aspect of like I'm the best, but I still have to hide my shame. 
You know, I, mm. I have to make sure I'm portraying that and that I'm believing that, even though there's still in the back of your mind of like, okay, but then why do I have to put a mask up? Why do I actually have to hide from that? You know, mm. if I actually was the best, I wouldn't have to hide from that. I could actually be authentic with who I actually am. But instead, I'm putting up a mask to be able to appear that way, even though, you know, I'm doing shady stuff on the side or lying over here or you cheating over here, like whatever it might be. There's still that. And that's why the one of my lies was, you know, I'm committed to Kayla. You know, like yeah. that was a lie that I put in my in in my head of like, hey, I'm committed to Kayla because I'm going to work, I'm paying the bills, I'm showing up, I'm providing roof overhead. Oh yeah, and I'm still cheating. But like, the, what I wanted to acknowledge was I only want to acknowledge I'm committed to Kayla because I'm doing that. But that's you know a tiny portion of what actually commitment is. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the other question. Um, so like I said, you know, people like to put. Um, people with differences in boxes. Um, and so one of the things that I find, because I, I used to be really into true crime and I listened to all sorts of stuff like that. And it always drove me crazy. And you can tell me if I'm wrong and it shouldn't drive me crazy, but there's this, so there's this push in destigmatizing any form of mental illness uh, to the point where if, someone talks about someone who shot up a bunch of children or whatever they say no he wasn't mentally ill he was blah, dot 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 don't stigmatize the mentally ill and i look at that and i go there's no way you're not ill mentally if you shoot children right like i i i don't know how you could not speak of it as illness or health in any way and so it, it's one of those things that drive that's kind of driven me crazy because it's like we need to be able to talk about these things in such a way that we're honest but that we're also you know not i don't know hurt, trying to hurt people i don't think people with bipolar disorder are going to go on killing sprees and no one thinks that's what you mean when you say uh, right. this person was mentally ill but am i crazy <laughs> No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's a, so give you kind of like a, maybe a side or a complimentary example with that. I had a video on TikTok. I did, gosh, it's probably been like probably a year ago now. And someone asked me a question about BPD, borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Part of my story that I actually forgot to say, you know, I, I had all that like prepared, but I forgot to say part of my story <laughs> was the the fourth affair was actually with a girl with BPD and narcissistic traits. And so a lot of that was reflected back on me. And I was like, holy cow, this is some of the stuff that I do. Like, where'd you learn that? You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so like someone asked me a question and I went on, I went on TikTok and I answered their question by reading off the DSM-5 um, borderline traits. And I didn't, I, I don't think I, maybe I said it's the DSM-5, but all I did is I just read through them. I just like, boom, boom, boom. And I had so many people come out of the woodwork, like bashing me and coming attacking me being like, that's not what borderline is. That's not what borderline is. And I'm like, I'm literally just reading from the DSM. Like I didn't make any judgments. I didn't say any statements. I literally just read from the, from the DSM-5. And it was ironic because some of their like overt, like, I can't believe you do this. All this kind of, I'm like, yeah, borderline, you know, as far as like how they're reacting, <laughs> you know, but, but there's a big aspect of like, like just because, you know, you're borderline or just because you're, you're a narcissist or stuff like that doesn't mean you're trapped in that box of, right. you know, being the worst person ever, because there's still a daily choice. 
Now, granted, is that choice harder, you know, 30 years down the road than it is, you know, 20 years down the road, or it's harder, you know, 60 years down the road than it is 30 years? Yeah, absolutely. Because habits, you know, habits are a huge aspect of it, of like, it's so habitual to hide and to run, you know, at that point, it's just, you know, there's no point, in, there's, there's no way to almost get in in one sense, you know, because it's so habitual, so ingrained. But like, everybody makes that choice. And I think a lot of times people want to use personality disorders and use different aspects of like, oh, well, that's who I am. So I can't change or I can't right. get better or you just have to accept me for what I am. Well, that doesn't mean that I have to accept your abuse. That doesn't mean right. I have to accept you being an asshole or being a cheater or something like that. Like just because and you, and you find that you find that a lot of times with narcissists that will actually either either self-diagnose or want to say like, oh, I'm not a narcissist. I just have a sex addiction because then they can justify why they want it so much. Then they can justify, you need to give it to me because this is who I am. When in reality, sometimes it's not even that. It's just that is um, a lot of times the sedation or the outworking of sometimes narcissistic personality. To, to what you were saying, Cam, do you mind if I ask a question real quick? Go for it. Yeah, so to what you were saying as far as, uh, you know, we can't, we can't stigmatize people as kind of like one push and the other push is, you know, there's definitely people out there that are like, well, if anybody has any type of mental disorder, you know, bipolar, they're going to shoot up somebody. We should uh, red flag law or whatever. You know, you've got like these two right. opposite ends of this. I wonder if we're in another one of those moments that's kind of like it reminds me of the uh, the 80s with the satanic panic idea. Right. And I find it funny because anytime people bring up the 80s and the satanic panic, they're like, oh, look, uh, they were uh, stigmatizing kids that played D&D &D as, as cultists, Satanists, whatever. Isn't that silly? But then on the other hand, you had the Son of Sam murders. You had like all of these <laughs> cults that were actually yeah. satanic going around and like murdering people and doing stuff like this. So I just find this like balance to be interesting uh, in, in this same way where it's like what to what Ben's doing, you have to talk about it. You actually have to get people help. You can't, you know, so destigmatize it that no one ever talks about it. it just stays buried under the rug and and continues the cycles of abuse. And on the other hand, it can't be like the red flag law of like, Hey, I've got, I, I'm afraid to come out and ask for help because I'm going to lose my rights. Right. So I find that kind of a, I don't and know that, if there's a question there, but where, that's sometimes where people will come after me or Lee being yeah. like, Oh, you're stigmatizing or you're shaming narcissists. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm very emphatic a lot of times on my videos or I'm very like in your face sometimes, because sometimes that's what it takes for people to realize like, Hey, just so you know, like the person you just got out of a relationship that is a narcissist, they don't care about you. And like, like, that's like, Whoa, like people are like, I can't believe that. Well, like, yeah, because it's not about you. It's all about them. And that's all that it's ever been, you know? So there's sometimes that I, I come pretty strong in videos, but I'm also the first to jump on that bandwagon when, you know, someone emails me is like, Hey, I think I'm a narcissist. I'm like, Hey, let's talk, you know, because if there's any chance to help build that awareness and help you actually understand, and my goal isn't to, to heal narcissists because I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't change anybody. But if I can like actually have them come into my life and be like, hey, this is what helped me. This is how I want to be able to help you. And we see some of those doors open where, you know, it makes more awareness. It, it opens them up to the possibility of actually, hey, you can step out in the light and be the person that you actually are not abusive, but you can say, hey, I actually I own these things. And this is my plan to actually work on helping not be that way or helping not be abusive or helping to be a better person than what I've exemplified. So, um, let me, uh, other question. Um, I don't know why I have to say that. Obviously it's going to be a question. I'm going to end it with a, with my voice going up just a little bit. So you, you right. uh, we'll put a question mark on the teleprompter. Yeah. A, 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 a virtue. Uh, yeah. Um, but I have, well, kind of two, 
Um, do you think you, you talked about how you were raised um, by a by an evangelist and you were always moving around doing that? Um, do you think there is or was a spiritual component to your narcissism in in so far as like some sort of uh, spiritual sickness in some sense, or do you think it's a, a, a physical or just mental situation? So I think I kind of shy away from some of the aspect of like physical, I mean, um, spiritual sickness per se. Um, and then sometimes people, people like people like dive into like, you know, narcissists or demons, like you know, all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, like not we that. Go, we go the whole spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, I think there's a big aspect of, I think, I think it's like two great, two answers to your question. So I think part of growing up contributed to narcissistic behavior because of being detached from anything solid. And then also early on being detached from primary caregiver. So like two weeks after I was born, I was on the road and my parents like were in churches, you know, singing, preaching, um, doing like, you know, Bible school, Sunday schools, like all different types of stuff. So there's an aspect of even when I was like super young, I wasn't, there wasn't always a ton of attachment because I was getting shuffled like nurseries and like on the pew, stuff like that. So like, I don't think it was not like I was like abandoned, you know, I don't, I don't have like that aspect, but I do, there is an aspect of disconnection from the primary caregiver early on can actually um, physically affect some of the gray matter that's being formed that affects like your empathy, like different aspects of that. So there's, there's parts of that. When it comes down to it, the other part of of growing up in it's probably gonna be a three part question actually three part answer. The other part is is you know the Christianity and the religion aspect is a lot of times how it's portrayed, um, especially in you know like Southern Baptist culture or more conservative culture things like that is like you got to get cleaned up before you're accepted by God or you got to get you got to look a certain way you got to fit the part and so like there's an aspect of you know going church to church and like doing the things we did like being a I, I've been all three an evangelist kid a pastor's kid and a missionary kid so I like. I've actually been all three. You've got all the disorders going on (laughs) doing stuff like that. It's like, Hey, you got to, you know, this is who we're supposed to be. Like people are looking at us. You have to set the example. You have to be that way. So it's like, you know, don't forget your last name. Don't forget who you are and all that kind of stuff. That's another kind of like pressure in one sense too. And then on the, on the other like spiritual aspect of what I would say narcissism is I think when you see, a a narcissist in the flesh like doing everything that they do a lot of times i don't view that being more of like um a spiritual aspect except for that person just being let go to do their own way and their own sinful nature and that's just going to be how it exemplifies so you see like people all over the all over the world you know like crazy like awful people like psychopaths sociopaths stuff like that that in in reality like i don't think those people have to be spiritually sick or possessed by demons or anything like that i just think they have to be let loose of if 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 everything's if everything's okay for me to do then you know we've seen humanity go down some of the darkest places because of that Mm -hmm. um yeah so i don't know if he was a narcissist or a psychopath but i had one very close um encounter with someone who tried to manipulate me Um, and tried to, even though he was married, tried to steal away my wife and gaslit her, tried to gaslight her. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm going, no, what are you talking about? No. 
And, you know, there was, I, I won't go too far into it, but it's, it's wild when you, um, when you see something like that, because it's so different than what a normal person might experience. It, it feels demonic in some sense when someone's trying that hard in at least when you can see it to manipulate in that at that level and it's Mm -hmm. terrifying so that's that i just didn't know if um so when i say spirit i didn't know how else to put it but (laughs) um i just i just mean like is do do you feel like that's uh, that's something that plays into it is is spirituality and you're saying it's just just going full on into uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it touches on, I mean, it, if we if we use the term of like, you know, spiritual sickness, I mean, at the end of the day, that's just man's own depravity. Right. Okay. Um, the other one, the other question I had um, was, do I, I you kind of you went through your story, but do you remember any times when you were a child where was, was there any crystallizing moment when you feel like you became perfect? or anything like that or was there was there ever a time before where you didn't feel that way and then later you did it's a good question um what i would say well actually i I would say two things one um going back to childhood um is is muddied and is really hard to be able to piece together so like even in like therapy trying to do like inner child work stuff like that um like we had a we had a moment we were trying to go back and my therapist was like think of it like a picture of you at a younger age you could tell me about age whatever and I was like I can't I was like I don't know and then I finally like latched onto one and I was like I don't know if what the picture of me that I'm viewing is my own memory or is a memory that's been told to me or is a picture that I know exists that I'm attributing it to so like the whole that whole part is like kind of crazy we've also I, I call my therapist crazy because one she's amazing but then two like whenever we hit a wall she's like hey let's try this brand new thing or hey let's try something completely different so like we touch on a lot of stuff that i term as like being crazy um you know we're talking about like muscle response therapy like emdr emi um uh is that the one with the light yeah uh like emi and emdr a lot of times have like the the movements that you're like following um uh emdr will do you'll either do like the eye stuff as far as like with lights or with movement or you'll do um you kind of hold almost like nintendo switch like controllers and they like vibrate back and forth kind of thing okay um my, my therapist also does like energy work um she also is a christian uh so there's a lot of like things that she brings to the table that's like different than you know just one stream of therapy in one sense uh, and I remember we did a session. It was muscle muscle response therapy um, coupled with some of the stuff that she does. It's I forget the exact name. Uh, some of the stuff she does is called like Splunk Night. It's like it's it's there's different aspects with um, religion and with God that's brought into it. We invite God into the session to actually work through. It's 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 wild sometimes. And we've done it three times, and each time it's like kind of blown my mind. We did one that actually she's like going through and it's really interesting because like you put out your arm and she like asks a color or a question and like presses down to see your your body's response. And that's when your body starts telling on you where it responds differently, mm-hmm. even if, you know, you, you mm-hmm. your mind isn't responding differently or your words aren't responding differently. And she went back to something and she was like, OK, it's identifying what we need to work on through a like series of questions is when you work on zero to birth. And I was like, huh? Like zero to birth. Like I, he- I hectured, like don't remember anything like before I was actually born, <laughs> but it actually like 
kind of went through the aspect of there being an aspect in my mind that I needed, that there was a expectation that was placed on me before I was born. And that my thought process was the idea of like, I have to break the mold. I have to like be better, do better. Like I have to, I have to see where the bar is of achievement and I have to pass that kind of a thing. And it was fascinating because then, you know, going out of that session, you know, I'm like calling up like, like parents and, you know, everyone, I'm like, Hey, talk to me about like before I was born, you know, and there was stuff that like surfaced that like corresponded to that. And it was like really crazy. And it wasn't like, you know, this like huge thing, but like, as I'm talking and I'm picking up bits and pieces of what they're saying, I'm attribute, I'm realizing throughout my life. Yeah. That's actually there more than what they want to acknowledge or more than what they want to realize. Like even, uh, even like the aspect of like one, one piece of it, like my dad, like always wanted me to go and do some form of ministry, you know, mm-hmm. now he's like, well, thank God that you didn't because of all this, you know, but <laughs> you know, like he always wanted that, but I always felt that. You know, there's all, that was always something I felt too of like, Hey, like there's an aspect of not being good enough because I'm not doing, you know, that exact thing, which, you know, I now know that that's, that's not, I mean, to, to this day, I've had, I've had times in my life, I've been asked three times to actually go and pastor a church. Like Mm. it's ironic, it's weird, but like that's actually happened three times in my life of people that wanted me to come and actually like candidate and pastor their church. And like, they reached out to me. I wasn't looking like it wasn't even something that I was like in the market for kind of thing. Um, But like just going through all this and being like, Hey, that's not who I'm meant to be, you know, but that was a huge aspect that felt like there was always that like pressure or judgment that from an early age, I kind of had to like break through that mold of like, that's not who I'm going to be. And this is who I'm going to be and exemplify and help people in a different aspect in a different capacity. I, I yeah. find that, or I find that interesting. You saying uh, there's certain expectations on you that you didn't even realize um, because, and I don't know what denomination you grew up in or whatever, but it was something with me that happened this last year where I never understood a part of my past where I never had like a conversion moment. I just grew up in, in the church. I just grew up you know, nine months before I was born till whenever, you know, just always, always in church, grew up in a very Christian family. And there was always a guilt in my life of not having that conversion story. And I could never figure out why. I don't know, like who put that idea in my head, where it came from. And then this year I read a uh, theology book, basically from the Reformation on of like what each denomination believes in their history and where they come from. And I grew up in a Methodist church and I had no idea, like it was never taught to me that the early Methodist belief was that you weren't sanctified until you had a conversion story. So even if you grew up a Christian and you believed in God, until you could come before the congregation and say, look, there was this time in my life where whatever, and then God like spoke to me and like everything changed. You know, that everything changed story was so embedded in the church itself, even not spoken, that I never realized that's where it came from. So I wonder if you had like, I mean, obviously growing up in the church, growing up as a pastor's kid, like there's stuff like that that kind of has come out or... Yeah, I mean, in some in some ways, I don't think I've like tracked it back exactly like that. But like when you're talking about like even like conversion story, like yeah. I mean, I had like three of them. You know, it's like oh, I got saved this year. You know, I got baptized like three times. You know, like all this kind of stuff. And be like, you know, third time's a charm. Hopefully, it sticks. You know, but like honestly, like going through everything that I do um, that that I've done, like I I can. I have like maybe one time I would go back and I'd be like, Hey, like that's my conversion story. But then how I lived after that, I don't think I can actually like tout that. I don't think I can actually hold to that because probably one of the biggest things um, I heard 
I heard kind of it, it was a longer illustration, but I heard the idea. It was with um, crap. Now I'm, now I'm forgetting it. Now I'm forgetting his name. Um, but I was I was listening to a preacher, and it was like the idea going back to how you've been impacted by God, and mm. like the and that's how I attribute it actually in when we're talking about narcissism, and especially when I talk about Christian narcissists or like Christian abuse, because like there's an aspect of that that I don't even believe is real. Because what it actually is, is I don't think you can be a Christian and be actively abusing because yeah. I don't think that someone can actually say that they've been impacted by the God of the universe and not had a changed experience, not a moment, but a changed life because of that. So like if I say, hey, I'm a Christian because I believe in God or because like he's impacted me with what he's done in my life and I keep doing the same stuff, then I'm not bearing the fruit of someone who actually is a Christian. And so for me, there is. I had multiple conversion stories. I had multiple times where I, you know, accepted Jesus into my heart kind of a thing. But at the end of the day, I wasn't living that way. And it was demonstrated even all the way through like my marriage of like the affairs and stuff like that. So I look back now and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can say in confidence that I was a Christian while I was doing all those things or that I was saved or that I knew God to the level of actually changing my behavior of actually repentance, you know, because yeah. I wasn't there. You know, now as I'm sitting here, like I know where I stand with God and I know what I believe and I know where I am, but I also can't look back and be like, oh, it was this day at this time and I haven't written my Bible. Right. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't exist, but I do know where right. I am now. And I think that's what's more important. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, you know, I, I, I don't have a date when it happened. I was, uh, it was on my bed when I was what, three or four years old in the apartment that we lived in. And so that was something that I struggled with too over time yeah. i was like i don't have this moment this conversion story um but one of the things that i really realized personally was i remembered the first time i had a faith slash existential crisis which was uh, i want to say that i was no I, I was in kindergarten and uh or mother's day out or i don't know what it was uh but this is so it's so silly but it's a part of my story i i, I tell it um, but I had raced this little kid, this other kid. I don't know his, what his name is now, but as we raced, um, he, he beat me. He was gloating about being the fastest kid in the school, which I was before that, blah, blah, blah. And so when he ran past again, I put my foot out and let gravity take, take its, uh, take, I don't know what the heck I'm saying. I'm take so the tired. Rings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to get my sleep cycle back because I, I like last week, my What's average that? time slept was uh, three hours and 33 minutes. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but no, I was like, let, let's let nature take its course. Uh, dude fell over and he looked up at me from the ground and he said, you're not really a Christian. And that wrecked me as a child that made me go through every single thing. And so it's, the way that I've described my journey has been in, uh, I'm not a dispensationalist, but there, my life has different dispensations. So it's like, you know, when I was little, I didn't understand what it was, but I knew my mom and dad loved God and God loved them. And I wanted to be a part of that love. And then I fell in love with, you know, like it, it goes through it's And every time there's a new change in life, there's a new, clarity that comes with that like when i got married suddenly i understood how christ loves his church in some sense then i had kids and i was like oh, this is this is insane 
how does he love us this much you know right um but no i i all that to say i totally understand that uh right now we just hit an hour and 30 minutes and you said you have to wake up early so let's uh unless you have any more questions off the top of your head pj no, this is a great conversation, by the way. I really appreciate getting to pick your brain, uh, brain Ben. Sorry, I yeah, slurred yeah. my words. <laughs> I, I think it's been great. I've, I've loved talking to you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I have the big question of the show, which I'll explain in a second. Um, and then I have a dumb question, if you're interested in that. Okay. Um, seeing as yeah, you sure. have <laughs> seeing as you have direct experience with narcissism yourself and with others, um, when you look at the... Um, the landscape of America. When you look at um, pop culture, celebrities, politicians, whatever, who like, I'll ask, I'll ask for three. Maybe, maybe you'll be able to do it. Don't worry if you can't. Um, could you name the top three people that you've noticed in any of those paradigms um, that are the most narcissistic? And you think you, you would call, you would diagnose them if you could. Hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think it's hard to be able to actually like identify and go to the place where I'm going to actually like say like, Hey, this person, this person, cause there's so many nuances and there's so much, especially with not just like culture, but also what gets put out on social media that is for, you know, for clout, you know, for people to get you know, likes, views, and then for stuff that people are saying that you don't really know, like either way. I mean, obviously, a huge, a huge aspect of, you know, things that like brought up, uh, brought up a lot of like narcissistic talk was obviously like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, you know, um, trial and like court case and stuff like that. And, you know, with some of the stuff coming out of like her maybe being more of like, you know, BPD, like borderline and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I saw like in that, that I'm like, holy cow, like I resonated a lot with the, some of the stuff that she said and that she did. It was like, you know, that's like matching up to borderline or to like narcissistic traits and things like that. Um, I think it's interesting because a lot of times people want to peg, you know, one president or another as being like that person's a narcissist, all that kind of thing. And I love how my therapist said it. She said it like the best way. She was like, she was like, when you look back on time of all the presidents that we've ever had, like you have to be able to say like at least every president is at least a partly, if not all the way a narcissist, because they have to be if they're thinking they're going to run, you know, the country that's like, you know, a lot of times one of the, the biggest countries like in the, in the free world, you know? And so a lot of times like people want to be like, oh, this one's a narcissist. Like, you know, when it comes down to it, the majority of them are because you have to have some level of that to be like, hey, I can actually do this. And I think I'm qualified to run a nation. Right. OK, so to make it dumber, uh, rather than NPD, mm -hmm. um, what are, you know, the disorder itself, who do you think uh, exhibits narcissistic traits that are not necessarily diagnosable the most? Like, who do you see and you go, OK, I can't deal with looking at that person? Um, for me, I'll give you one. Um, right. what's, what's the guy's name? He was in, um, one direction, Harry Styles, Harry Styles. Yeah. Okay. I, that he just rings of narcissist to me. Yeah. Um, I see what you mean. I, I, there's a lot of, 
I would say there's a lot of like social media and pop culture that I don't engage with partly right yeah. now because I don't have time. You know, that's a, that's a huge aspect as I'm, as I'm trying to actually build the business and grow what I'm doing. Um, there's more people that I interact with in either my like sphere of influence or in some of the social media categories that I'm like looking at or kind of going through of like, okay, like, this person just came out as being a narcissist or this person just did this, like that's very narcissistic, different things like that. So I'm more along the lines of like identifying different traits that I see as like, Oh, that's a trait. That's a trait than I am necessarily of coming out and like labeling people per se of like, that's a narcissist or that has narcissistic, you know, tendencies, things like that. Gotcha. How about you, PJ? Gosh, good question. There's one that I'm, racking my brain on right now and i can't think of who it was and i, I can't remember the full story but it's something like something really awful happened to someone else and they had to get in front of the camera and be like look how this affected me i don't know aoc kind of pops my mind a little bit for doing that pretty often as far as you know like every everything's about her the capital riot which happened at a different building was about her um yeah i don't know the kardashians come to mind <laughs> i'm definitely taking amber heard amber heard seems like though. bpd to me though i've known a lot of people with bpd and well just... i mean i'm you know not necessarily in pd i just mean she definitely has oh narcissistic yeah, yeah, yeah. Traits. she definitely has right. narcissistic traits i think i think if chris jenner can literally sit down and watch her own daughter's sex tapes to figure out which one to sell uh that's that's some type of disorder that that needs thing? To be... you didn't hear about that yeah no, um, i don't pay attention to those ray j I don't usually wow. either. Ray J, I guess, came out and was like, yeah, so that leaked sex tape of me and Kim Kardashian, Chris did, orchestrated the whole thing, like watched all of our sex tapes to figure out which one would be the best one to leak. Like that's a, that's a level of narcissism or, or just abuse that I is beyond Is that me. narcissism by proxy? I don't know what it is. It's, that's crazy. Wow. It's something. I don't know. Maybe it's not narcissism, but it's, it's, um, it's seriously messed up. Right. Uh, all right. Yeah. So... Uh, the last question that we always ask every guest. When I say we, I mean me. I'm I, I'm the only one who asks the question. Um, over the last two two and a half years, um, there has been a lot of depressing stuff. There's been a lot of um, people who feel um, what's the word I'm looking for? They just feel helpless, hopeless, etc. Mm -hmm. And when that happened and I was doing a show that was completely different than the show that, that you're a part of right now. Um, I decided when we renamed it, when we rebooted it, that it was going to be a show of hope because unfortunately I knew people who had their lives taken away from them in one way or another, literally and physically, uh, uh, figuratively throughout this COVID deal. And so, uh, one of the things I like to ask is, what is something, because I want to share hope with people, um, what is something in your life, um, and it could be in the house, it could be local, global, state, national, whatever, um, what's something that gives you hope and motivates you to carry on doing what you're doing and living a, a good life? Yeah. It's a deep question for the last one. Awesome. I, I try. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I definitely know one aspect. I'm trying to think because I don't think that's the full answer. Um, so I, I would say, so I'll just start. As a, uh, one aspect for me is 
probably not what you think because narcissism as a whole is the past is in the past. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to bring it up. Like that no longer exists, no longer happens because it brings up shame. Narcissist doesn't want to think about, doesn't want to acknowledge the stuff that's happened. There's a part of me that is motivated, not because of where I can just go, but also remembering of where I've been. And so for me, there's a conscious effort on a, on a daily basis, actually, there's a conscious effort on a daily basis to not take the past and hold it so close that I'm pining or reminiscing, but also not put it so far that it's so far away that it's, it no longer exists and it didn't really happen, but almost to kind of bring it in a small perspective of, Hey, like, cause I had someone ask me the other day, like, how do you, how do you manage like being bigger in one sense on like social media and not like getting a big head of it? And I'm like, I have to remember that this is the reason why. I'm even on social media. Like the reason why I'm on social media is because of heartbreak is because of ruining people's lives is because of destroying relationships and jobs and all that kind of stuff. Like I have to like, remember that. And so there's a huge aspect of my past that no longer defines me, but it now develops me to be the person that I'm going to be today. And the person I'm looking for tomorrow. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is actually understanding and realizing that changing what you're viewing. So like a lot of times I'll, I'll term this in, in talking with people of like rewiring your mindsets, change your story, change your life, change the thing that you're viewing, change the things you're believing. Um, really what it comes down to it and what I like talking about too is the idea of capacity is like the thing that the next version of you, the next person, not like reincarnation, but like the person you're going to be next as you grow, heal and change. And as you develop, um, you don't even understand how big, how, how sensitive, how open, how vulnerable, how, how great that next thing can be because you haven't expanded your mind to the capacity to be able to believe that's actually possible. So like for me, like my wife coming back and like I mentioned before, like sitting in therapy being like, I don't want this. Like, I don't want this marriage, but I'm still sitting here trying to work on myself and I'm still in the relationship, even though I don't want it. And, and then seeing now a year later, you know, my relationship with my wife growing more than what at that point I thought was humanly possible. Like I thought it was done, you know, there wasn't any hope and, and helping people understand. And when you see that happen to someone else, when you see that happen, when they get out of the relationship, they realize they're not crazy. When you see that happen to other people, when they kind of like transcend to the next level of like self-awareness or like self-confidence or self-worth, then they realize that they don't have to be defined about what happened. And they can actually continue to open up their capacity of like, wait a second, like, the, the person that I am now that doesn't have any confidence, that doesn't have any self-worth is, you know, light years past the person I'm going to be in a year, you know, when I'm not, you know, sitting in the corner or shriveling because of the narcissistic abuse or when I'm not, you know, being knocked down because of things I've done. And so for me, there's a huge aspect of seeing the change that's happened in my life and being able to see that change happen into other people's lives. Um, really comes back to the idea of like being able to take and understand like intrinsic rewards of like now I'm actually getting to the place where I believe my hope is also coming from I'm starting to live my divine purpose of like being here to actually help other people to expand their capacity, their awareness and help them heal, grow and change and multiple different things. And, you know, being able to finally like get to that point of like as I'm getting clear about who I am, it's starting to align and for me, like this is at this point in my life, which I'm sure will be amazing, you know, in two years and five years as I continue to dive in and learn about it. But at this point in my life, like I'm living more congruent in my life now than what I ever have. 
because I'm actually being true to myself. I'm being true to other people of what I'm actually doing. And I'm actually knowing, hey, this is the direction I'm going on a day-to-day basis, the intention and the mindset that I'm showing up that that gives me not only that hope, but that joy as I dive into that formula, you know, that I was kind of sharing, because I, that's a huge part, you know, because I think honestly, when it comes down to it, if I, if I stop, you know, a, a big thing for me is like gratitude is very, I would say almost like anti-narcissistic, like mm-hmm. a narcissist being thankful for another human being, like, you know, that's no, like, it's all about me. It's not about, you know, actually appreciating another person or another, like something else that's not directly back to me. So like, you know, there's a huge aspect of, Hope, you know, comes from the fact of like understanding where I've been, where I'm going, but it also comes from the fact of knowing that I'm living my purpose. You know, I'm living my my God, my God divine purpose of like direction I'm supposed to go. And through that, understanding that, hey, as I tap into, you know, that gratitude, joy, love, fear, you know, all the way up to like, hey, this is trusting God. That also gives me hope each and every day of like, hey, I'm actually living out the person I'm supposed to be right now and the person I'll be next year will be a new version of that as I continue to grow, heal and change myself and on my walk. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you know, you, you said that, um, I think one of the things that's very clear from what I've been able to tell of narcissistic people or narcissism in general is how heavily tied into cynicism it is and lack of trust, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. And so seeing you, in a place where you're talking about gratefulness, which is anti-narcissist and talking about learning how to trust and do that, which is anti-cynic, like that is in and of itself a silver lining little bit of hope for me. So I, I thank you for, for coming on. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for doing what you do. Cause I, I love when I run into people on TikTok or on Twitter or wherever who have a different story and it's not one that they've given into. It's not one. It's one that they're overcoming, that they're still growing, Um, which by the way, if you ever want to feel better about yourself, just go on Facebook and hit the memories tab and you'll go, (laughs) oh, wow, I was dumb. Um, All right. Yeah. Beyond that, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I want to let people know how to get to you uh i think most importantly you have rawmotivations.com mm-hmm. where people can go and check out what you do can check out uh how to do a one-on-one if they feel they are a narcissist or have been subject to narcissistic abuse mm-hmm. um you also I, I i don't know about your instagram i'm sure it's the same uh yeah. but i know on tiktok you're at raw underscore motivations and youtube uh, you are youtube.com slash raw motivations. Yep. So anything so every, else? Every, everywhere else for raw motivations, TikTok's the only one that has like the little like underscore, but if you type it in, it still pops it back up. So we're on everywhere. Um, raw motivations, um, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, we're on all those different platforms under raw motivations. We have a podcast that's the, the same stuff, but just trying to help, you know, get out there on Apple podcast, Spotify, um, we have a new podcast that just dropped, uh, beginning of this month, actually called trauma, drama, and life. And that's myself and my wife. I mean, a lot of people wanted to hear like the wife's perspective. Um, yeah. so that's like a big thing that, that recently is just, just jumped up like really quickly. I actually looked, uh, earlier, earlier today, we've done three episodes and today it was ranked, I think 162 in the U S 
So I was like, that's pretty surprising for three episodes. I was kind of shocked. <laughs> um, so like that, uh, we have uh, the NARC app. Uh, that's something that's that's fairly new as of this year that I developed. Um, it's a it's an app that's called um, NARC, and it stands for Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Community. So it's a community of like-minded people to help them grow, heal, and change through courses, accountability, advice, weekly lives, monthly coaching, stuff like that that goes into it to help those people in their journey forward. Um, that's at narcapp.com. Uh, we just released a journal that actually is now published on Amazon uh, from fantasy to reality by Ben Taylor. And so a couple different things like that, but yeah, everything you can kind of center around uh, goes under any of my platforms under raw motivations or rawmotivations.com. Awesome. I'm surprised you were able to get that NARC app before the FBI did. So good, good for you on that. <laughs> <laughs> the DEA sold it to him right. um, <laughs> with some stipulations. Right. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much. Uh, I'll yeah. let you go and we'll do our, our wrap up. Uh, but good. I really Thanks appreciate you. Great to meet you guys and beyond. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Great talking and to you, Ben. I have to stitch you later. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. All right, PJ. We are at the end of the show. So since you've never been a guest, like I said, it's kind of funny that you're guest co-hosting before yeah, yeah. you actually were a guest. <laughs> But since you didn't do that, I'm going to make you answer that same question because I need to know what's what gives you hope right now. What gives me hope? Uh, so I find this. OK, yeah. So for me, it's funny because I feel like a lot of the stuff I talk about are kind of blackpilling. And I've always had this idea of any work that I do, any art that I do when I did music, I would do the same thing when I whenever I wrote a song. I would go through the dark part and then always try to find the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. So um, for me, I think that one of the problems that that we see a lot of people do is they, they're putting all of their hope, because uh, I, obviously I talk about politics a lot. People put all of their hope into politics, politicians, into the culture, into saving America, and all of that stuff. And even though I don't agree with the people who think that nothing on this earth matters, that uh, there aren't real human costs and consequences to politics, to um Ever, you know, whatever culture, things like that. And I do think those battles are worth fighting. The the hope that I always come to at the end of all of this is that one day, and it's gonna again, I'm gonna go through the black pill first. One day America's gonna fall, one day the world's gonna fall, you know, fire is going to rain from the sky, it's all going to happen. Uh, but there's all but if your hope is in Donald Trump, if your hope is in a politician, if your hope is in America, you're placing your hope in the wrong place. That's why I'm able to laugh through all the stuff that I talk about because my hope's in Jesus Christ, my hope's in the Lord. So like we win in the end. And, and I guess Dude, for me, like that's, we, yeah. that's all the hope we need, you know? Right. So it, well, I, I definitely understand everything that you just said. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like if it, it's hard, it, it would be hard for me to answer this question because I want to answer it so many different ways. Right. Um, but like primary way is uh, the resurrection. Mm -hmm. We will be resurrected someday. We will get to be in our ideal state. We will get to do the job of the image of God. We'll get to do what we were always meant to do. And I find that extremely restful to think about. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, I think you also just have to have a warrior spirit of like a joyful warrior spirit of just being, you know, enjoying the fight as well. Oh, oh yeah. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll ask you my, since you've been on three different shows with me, I think, I think all of them were at least an hour and a half. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I do a I, lot I think, of long form. People are like, you don't do enough short form. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I enjoy the long conversation stuff. So. I get that. Yep. Um, but no, so I'll, I'll ask you the question because I feel like you've talked to me enough to maybe have an initial response, which is what's your favorite thing about me? 
my favorite thing about you? For, well, first of all, for, <laughs> very narcissistic <laughs> question. Uh, First of all, I don't know why, but you very much remind me of one of my favorite vocalists of a band that I that I used to follow. So that was kind of cool. But um, no, I just I love your and sense of humor, dude. Um, plea for purging. Is it hardcore? It kind of yeah, metalcore probably okay. would be better. I'm gonna have to Google it now. I'm really bad. Well, <laughs> don't take offense because he's like way bigger than you. But just like, <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm not calling you fat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> personality wise uh kind of humor wise but no i think uh i've always i've always enjoyed your sense of humor i, I know i started following you on twitter because we had like mutual friends yeah. uh on twitter and i didn't really even know who you were when i started following you and then i saw the whole uh joke thing was kind of how a lot of people i'm sure found you yeah. um i just i don't know i enjoy your sense of humor dude and <laughs> and honestly i think um because we've talked on and off podcast before um i always appreciate somebody who can dive deep into subjects and and actually enjoys the conversation enjoys learning so oh, yeah we we talked for about books for like an hour after my podcast <laughs> that true. one time so that's true yeah awesome well i appreciate you so much for coming on and being a guest co-host i can't I, I can't seem to be able to do this without that i don't right blame now. you dude i always like having somebody else there to, to talk with i get it well, when you're doing long form Mm -hmm. uh, different stuff in different conversations like this. It's really nice to have someone else who also has questions for when you don't. Right. You know, so there's that. But yeah, this is inside baseball. Sorry, people. Um, <laughs> but like I said, uh, thank you so much for coming on and doing that. Uh, we'll have to do it again. I, I may have other uh, times to fill later on. If you're interested, awesome. I'll let you know. Um, Absolutely. But uh, could you tell people all about your new podcast, the other two that you do, um, and what you're up to so that they can find you? Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks again for inviting me. I'm actually really excited to be here. So uh, I do a lot of I do a lot of stuff. So tomorrow night I do on Wednesday nights I do Conspiracy Pilled, which is uh, kind of a throwback to a podcast I used to do, kind of rebooting it under a new name. So kind of with a co-host, we go through uh, different conspiracy theories that people have talked about, break them down. It's not uh, preachy like you have to believe everything because we don't believe everything that's put right. forth but we kind of just go through the facts of the case and give our opinions and that's a lot of fun um on thursday nights i do uh wartime propaganda i think that's going to be switching to seven because i've been doing it nine so um i was just letting you know as well if you're ever looking for somebody for that like 8 30 slot yeah, on thursdays i should be i should be available come um october and then uh so i do that thursday nights and then on saturday nights i do the last american pubcast with uh let's be frank with uh, abby libby and tom from america floats it's kind of a panel um yeah. bring up a lot of stories throughout the week it's uh, a, a digression of everything that's going on in the week so it's uh drinks and laughs and fun and kind of um the way we the way we phrase it is the the news is depressing but it's a lot less depressing if you have uh, good friends and good drinks to to take it with so oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah, if I if I go back on that one, uh, I'll be better beer, prepared than not whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all sipping beer and Cam's just like shots of whiskey. <laughs> um, that's not true. He's lying. It didn't happen. <laughs> it's not on the internet for you guys to see. <laughs> right. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm going to tell the rest of you what you can expect. This is a two show week. These are rare. It will be happening more recently. Um. Uh, what the what did that mean? It will be happening more in the future, just a, a few times in the future. Uh, but Thursday, I have the regular episode at the regular time with Dr. Hillel Gray. He is, like I said earlier, I think I said it on the show. He mm -hmm. is a um, 
a professor of comparative religion, and he has been doing a long study and research into uh, radical sects of different religions. So he's spent time with the Westboro Baptist Church, and he's spent time with a lot of different things. And I just want to pick his brain. I just yeah. I, that's the, whole, the whole reason is I want to know um, how you talk to someone that hateful of different stripes and not walk away just disgusted because he really pushes for empathy. That's kind of gotta be difficult. Week. That's gotta yeah. be difficult. Does he, That's, you said he's on TikTok. Does he have like a, a, like a top, you know, like most extreme type thing that he talks about or I, I don't know. Cause he doesn't pin anything. <clears throat> so it's really hard to kind of find the, I was just curious. Cause like everybody knows Westboro, but I was wondering if there's other ones that are, he's talked, he's just recently started talking about um, Satanism and is starting to look into mm -hmm. some of that. Um, did you see that? Did you see that documentary "Hail Satan" on uh, Hulu? I did not. It's sorry, I didn't mean to cut off what you're saying, you're but good. it's a it's a, a documentary about the satanic movement in America. So mm. the guy who leads it's got like one eye. He looks like a Bond villain, and they they're the ones who took down the Ten Commandments at all the courthouses. Okay, the, the uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation. Freedom from Religion. Yeah, there's yeah. So. Um, yeah, so that's uh, one of the, I was going to mention this earlier and I forgot to, the satanic panic that you mentioned, a mm -hmm. lot of people will talk about that like, oh, well, that's, they just, it was just D&D &D kids and stuff. And there's no, there's no Satanism. It's just Anton LaVey. They're just atheists with uh, dorky clothes or whatever. But there are actual deistic Satanists out yes. there. And I think that, I think that um, the enemy uses that dorky club in order to cover for the dark the real darkness that's that's actually why i brought it up i feel it's the same it's the same exact thing when people look back at mccarthyism they look at the few things that uh you know when, when mccarthy went too far and then they don't look at the fact that actual card-carrying communist members stole nuclear secret secrets and gave them to russia <laughs> right. it's the same right. exact thing yeah <laughs> right um so let me get back to the list uh after that the thursday after back on the normal schedule uh, we have Matt CL from TikTok. He's a Bible teacher, and he's just a fun dude. And we're gonna we're gonna bro out and talk. Oh, I forgot to mention Thursday with Dr. Gray. Um, my guest co-host is gonna be Buck Johnson of the Counterflow Podcast. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. I, I haven't, but I'll I'll follow him. I'll look him up. <laughs> uh, he's at Buck Rebel. Uh, he'll be joining me Thursday. Like I said, the week after that, it's uh, Matt CL from TikTok. He's a Bible teacher. He does a lot of talking about Christianity and, and some bits of theology on TikTok, which I think is really cool. Um, after that, it's another two for a week. So um, we, we enter into spooky season, and there's one holdover that's not spooky, and that's going to be the Tuesday of October 4th. I'm going to be talking with uh, Naomi Wright, she is a woman. So a couple months ago, I spoke to a guy named Ben Brown, who was who was raised in a, poor, uh, a Mormon polygamist cult and lived on the foundation or whatever and got out of polygamy and got out of Mormonism. Uh, this time I'm talking to Naomi, who uh, was raised in a cult, but it wasn't Mormon. and It was started by her father and it was polygamist as well. And so I'm, I'm excited. And also she's still Christian. So it's like, it'll be, a, I, I'm more excited a little, like, I love you, Ben, but I'm, a, I'm a little more excited about, that was the Mormon guy. Uh, this one, just because I, I know that she just didn't leave Christianity, you know, like I'm, right. uh, that makes me a little happier. 
Um, and then after that, we have our first spooky season show uh, with Izzy Centric. Um, Israel, what was his? I can't remember his last name. Israel Petty, that's his name. But he goes by Izzy Centric. He is a self-taught demonologist and paranormal researcher and Christian. Um, and so we're going to start spooky season. Uh, like spooky season this year is going to be all about unseen warfare. I did not plan it that way. It happened that way. And I, I'll tell you about this offline, PJ. It's crazy how yeah. this, this came about. But Izzy's going to come on and we're going to talk to him. And that, that's it for the shows. And so last things, uh, you told people where to find you on Twitter, what you're at. Again. Yeah, so you guys can find... Well, the easiest way, honestly, is if you go to solo.to slash PJ underscore Patriot. It's got my links to everything, um, all the yeah. different podcasts I do. Um, but pretty much PJ underscore Patriot, you'll find me most places. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Solo.to slash PJ underscore Patriot. Awesome. And for me, uh, patreon.com slash the mad ones. If you want a shirt, mug, etc., we are the mad ones.com slash store. I'm on Twitter at ham carless. Um, you, if you're listening and you'd rather watch youtube.com slash the mad ones. Uh, we're also on every platform either live or immediately uploaded thereafter. And so if you like Rockfin or Odyssey or Rumble or you name it, we're there. And if you'd rather listen, any podcatcher is going to have us. That's that. So that's all I got to tell you, except for like subscribe to the YouTube page. Cause we're, I'm trying to grow that out. I'm trying to do more. Um, please share with your friends. Uh, but with that, that's all. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say the last little bit and we'll, we'll jam. Any last words for the my crowd of miscreants? Uh, thank you guys for watching and listening. Uh, appreciate you for having me. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. All right. So like always, you have a chance to be a light in the world. So go light it up. <laughs>